All right, so I'm going to start in a strange place today. It's Lamentations. Anybody ever read Lamentations? It's not exactly the most uh, exciting book I've ever read. But uh, there's a couple of passages in there that are so uh, dramatic, and I want to start there and we'll work our way through. Jeremiah, come on, Lamentations, come back. I know you're here. So uh, put that on the screen too, it'd be great. And uh, so Lamentations 3. 22 and 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. So if you need compassion, he never fails to give it. That's what it says. His compassions never fail. Let's just say that out loud. His compassions never fail. Do you believe that? Well, we're all being tested on that, aren't we? God, just how compassionate are you? I'm trying to figure out my job situation. I'm trying to figure out what to do about this and that. And then, not only do his compassions never fail, they are new every morning. So, this morning, we have new compassion. We woke up to new compassion. Could God actually be that generous that he would give that much compassion that they're actually new every morning? Well, that's what it says here. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And then there's verse uh, 33, I believe. Uh, Let's see if I can get to there. Um, So this is really, really important. I'll do 32 and 33. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Could I just say that again? This is what the Bible says. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. So why do we got grief and affliction? Good question. Well, it turns out that little thing called the fall created a problem for us. The demonic realms and, their, and all their connections. And just our own rebellion. Because the wages of sin is death. So we pull away from God and we always get death. We get problems, right? And we have to recover them. But it's important to the Lord's heart. Look at this. He does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. That means everyone. Nobody. No one in this room. (laughs) No one that you know. Which is really good because sometimes I think if we fail or we've had a string of failures or made some mistakes, we think, well, uh, I sort of deserve this or that. I found God to be just the opposite of that. You may go through a time of discipline. Um, there may be some times where, you know, it's not so good, but at the end of it, you go, wow, that was really good that I went through that because now I know better. So God may help you along that way, but it's always for the good, and that's really, really important. That's why the Bible says God causes all things to work together for good, for them to love the Lord and to call the crane to his purpose. So this last couple of weeks, man, we have been, I have been through a, uh, an incredibly... Uh, roller coastery time. You know what I mean by that? So we took all this trip for an entire family, all of us, every living one of us, every Hudgenses there is. <laughs> we ended up in Albuquerque, and then we promptly ended up with COVID-19. Can you believe that? What a crazy thing, right? And so <laughs> it was quite an adventure. 
And the Lord was so merciful through all that, but I'm driving, we drove all, drove all the way back from Albuquerque, which is 800 miles, you know, and just steady all the way through. And I parked my car, and that was the end of my car. Can you believe that? The head gasket. But it could have done that in the... If you've ever driven from Albuquerque to uh, here and you know all the places along the way, it could have done a lot of bad stuff. That could have... That could have if that had gone... You know, there's some amazing, even famous places where you do not want to have your head gasket go out. Because when the head gasket goes out, nothing happens, right? And there's a huge repair, all kinds of things. But it happened. I pull into the front of my house and then that's it. That's 1,800 miles I travel, and it decides to go out after. So I'm not sure who said enough of that. Uh, okay, <laughs> cargo kaput. I'm not sure how that works exactly, but I know that God's mercies are new every morning, and I count that a huge mercy. And the Lord's helping me deal with it as well, and just a wonderful way with regard to my car and all of it. So, so. <clears throat> If you look at your outline, I want to talk about releasing the healing ministry of Jesus. It turns out that to understand that Jesus heals and ministers, you have to understand how compassionate he is. So this is a talk on, on compassion and healing. Revelation and power for healing came from Jesus' personal experience with the love of the Father. In other words, he felt God's love and he just passed it on in the way of healing. Well, we do the same. And uh, so we're going to talk about that a little bit. I want to start reading from John chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. I hope everybody has an outline so you can kind of follow along a little bit with me. And uh, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a, a pool, which is in Aramaic, is called Bethesda which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a number of people, of disabled people, used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One of those there had been an invalid for 38 years. Could you imagine? When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sometimes God asks the strangest questions. It's a deeper question than you think, especially if you've been sick for a long time. So I don't want to go into those dimensions too much. That's a whole other sermon, but this is really critical. Do you want to get well? And you want to hear him say it. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the water. When the water is stirred, while I'm trying to get in, someone else gets down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. So evidently there was this thing that was happening. The angels would stir the water, and the first one in got healed. Or at least there was that tradition. All at once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Wow, what a hard generation that must have been. Here the impossible happens. The supernatural, an obvious move of God and the guy is angry because he's carrying his mat on the Sabbath. So 
in Christianity and all religion, sometimes we go into this territory where we might be technically right, but lovingly wrong, which makes us wrong, wrong, wrong. <laughs> because the kingdom is built, and this is what Jesus is communicating through his whole ministry. This is what he's trying to get him to understand. It's built on love. It's built on compassion, the compassion of God. And it makes the law fit in just perfectly as long as we have the compassion. It finds its space. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So I asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. Can you imagine? In his defense, Jesus said to him that my father, this is the key part, is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Okay, the father is at his work, but he's not just working any old way, he's working through compassion. He's working with compassion because that is who he is. He's love. So it's one thing to have, say, yes, God's working. And we can think of all the amazing, wonderful things he's doing, holding the planets together, you know, (laughs) doing all this. But in his working, if there's anything that he is doing, he is loving. You see what I'm saying? So, yes, there's this rule about carrying your mat, but when love comes... Uh, We have to alter that a bit. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Can you imagine? So you get this huge thing. I mean, they're just like, for that response, they want to kill him. They want to kill him because he made a man well, and the man picked up his mat. So it can tell you where they were. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus answered, gave him this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. So it turns out that the father is pretty compassionate too. For the father loves the son. That's the word phileo. It's the word uh, for affection. Like if I were to go up and hug my wife, what I like to, which I like to do. I like to do it right now. By the way, her birthday's tomorrow. Give her a lot of affection. She's 41 years old. It's amazing. It's getting up there. So uh, that's tomorrow. For the father loves the son, phileos the son, and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you'll be amazed. (laughs) I'm sorry. There's probably people in here thinking, his wife's 41 years old. I'm sorry for you that are newer. (laughs) We're about the same age, so I'll leave it at that. That might be a little confusing. All right. For you in TV land in here. All right. Now completely messed the whole thing up. Verse 20. For the father phileos the son. In other words, this word phileo is a word of demonstrated natural affection. So the father hugs the son. He, he demonstrates him to, an, to him in a tangible way. I love you, son. In other words, this relationship between the father and the son was dynamic. Jesus liked to go in the wilderness to be with his father because it felt good. 
Because the father was giving him affection, affirmation. He wasn't just giving them marching orders. He was loving them. He was encouraging him. They were reconnecting. They were having fun. That's what our devotional life should be about. Connecting. Not just studying the latest thing where I'm, if I don't do this, I'm going to get mashed. <laughs> no, the amazing promises of God. What's available to me? What God really thinks? How he's really, how he really acts, right? So he says, the father phileos the son. Evidently, that's a continuous thing. The father hugs the son, we could say, and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so it shall be amazed. So the father shows what he's doing, releases this power through his love. In other words, it's love, their love relationship, that opens Jesus up to being aware of what God's doing. And it's the same for us. It's the love of Jesus that opens us up to be led by the Spirit. Now, in circles like us, led by the Spirit is a serious phrase. You know, We want to be led by the Spirit. We want to see the works of Jesus. right? But could I just say to you, and this is what I'm trying to communicate mostly right here, is um, it's the love of God that brings the direction. If you want to get a prophetic word, experience the love of God, and on the heels of that, you will hear His word. You will hear his, Him say things. I didn't know this for a long, long time. And the uh, thing is, if you pursue God, you know that he still speaks today, even gives words to people and all that. Sometimes you can get actually a little bit hard, if you don't understand that, because you're after that word, you know. And then there's competing words, and people are dueling, you know, back and forth, you know, to see who could give the most clear word or the best word, you know, or whatever, or fight to the death if that word they gave is challenged. So, you know, I don't think that's the Lord. And, and they'll go, oh, my gosh, man, you are so off. You, I, this is how I got blah, 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 blah. Don't you dare challenge me on my hearing God's word, right? Well, frankly, I don't know that many people are that confident. And if they are, they've gotten into some arrogance and some stuff. You know, God, I don't know, maybe, I, maybe, maybe I'm just not as perfect as the rest of you, but you know, lots of times God speaks in a glass darkly. He doesn't say things really clearly sometimes. He just gives me a little bait out there and then I figure it out. Or Sometimes he's amazingly clear, but the thing of it is we should never be challenging each other, you know. I mean, even if we get that, well, you, maybe you're right. That's the place we should be in. But the thing is, love with regard to revelation throws the whole thing into a different place. For the Father that loves the Son shows him all he does. So when I'm feeling his affection, I'm usually in a unique place to hear his voice. As a matter of fact, when we get in trouble and great difficulty, one of the biggest things that happens is we can't hear his voice of affection anymore. We think he's deserted us. Right? But it's in those moments that we need it more. And I'll, I'll never forget this because I, I believe that compassion is so connected to power. So I'm not saying that you have to earn your way to healing people or to seeing God do power. I'm just saying that this process of God's leading when to go, where to go, and how to pray helps a lot when we're feeling the love of God. Compassion and power go together. Compassion and the revelation of God go together. So really, and I think this is what Jesus experienced according to this verse. And I was just remembering an experience, and I've told you this before, but there's some new people here, and um, I don't know, I've always remembered this. I was in India one time, and, and of course, we, we were preaching, and we always uh, prayed for the sick. And, they, and people, that's why they would even come. They might be the, you know... Uh, most irreligious Muslim or Hindu, but if someone said, hey, we're going to pray for healing, they were there, you know.
know, and they would show up just for hope's sake, because medical care is at a minimum cost across these large stretches of humanity, and um, so people are dying from simple things sometimes, and, and the most grievous thing is even their children, you know, are dying. So I'm up there on the stage, and I have a whole team with me. I had like 20 people with me, you know, and we're in a, we decide to pray for the sick, and so we came to that time where we're praying for the sick, and I'm getting some words of knowledge and things, you know, for the meeting. And I'm watching as this man brings in his crippled daughter. She couldn't walk. You could see her. I could see her uh, legs disfigured from where I was, and he was holding her. And one of the members of our team, I'll never forget this as long as I live, and some of you have heard me tell this story before, but um, so he's chasing this guy. The guy that's holding his daughter chases this guy because my friend is so overwhelmed, he doesn't want to pray for the girl. You know, He's scared to pray for her, and I knew why. He felt so much compassion. He thought, well, if it, what if it doesn't work? So I'm watching this, and it was a little bit humorous. He's carrying his daughter, and this guy would walk over here, and this, this, the other guy would follow him. You know, just <laughs> And they did this little dance you know, <laughs> for about three or four minutes, and my friend's trying to hide him. Here's a guy that's supposed to be on the ministry team, supposed to heal people, like, and this person's trying to get him to pray, but he won't pray because he's so broken over this daughter, and he can't bear to think that he might pray and that it might not happen. Right? So I'm watching this thing, and finally he, he gives up. And uh, so they put the girl on the ground, and my friend starts praying. And he couldn't pray anything. He just was so full of compassion, the tears of God falling down from his eyes onto that little girl's feet. You could literally, from where I was, it was about maybe five rows back, I could see the tears hitting the little girl's feet, these mangled, crippled feet, just falling on her feet. So the thing is, at least at that moment, it seemed that her feet moved and there was some change. So her family was greatly encouraged. Whether her feet got completely changed or not, I don't know. I just know that that man did the will of God. And also, I think something else was happening. Wherever there's compassion, there's great movement and change. And I believe that affected that, that, that family. He could see this wasn't just another person. This wasn't just another notch on the belt. This wasn't just us great people coming to help you. He really cared about his daughter. And who knows what came out of that? I never found out exactly what happened. They claimed afterward that her feet moved for the first time in a long time, but I don't know for sure. But I do know that he made an impact. I do know that it was significant. And I do know that that family, I could tell by the way they were watching and pray, it was uh, touching, it was amazing to them. So the key thing is what my team member couldn't do out of religiosity he did out of compassion. And I've found that in matters of supernatural activity with God, it makes all the difference in the world. Right? So we begin to release healing to others when we ourselves experience the healing love of Jesus in our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he imparts to us. This is really important because this is about releasing the healing ministry of Jesus. But if you take out this experience of the love of Jesus in our own hearts, then what happens is um, we lose something significant, not only in the way of power, but also in the sense of walking or being led by the Spirit. Dear friends, let us love one another. This is 1 John 4, 7. 
For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Right? No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and is made complete in us. That's a powerful phrase there. If we love one another, guess what happens? God lives in us. He makes his residence with us. He hangs around us. And he doesn't hang around in a general way. He hangs around with all the stuff that he does. Right? He talks to us. He works in power through us. But it's a really critical thing. No one has ever seen it. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So he loves us, we love him, but then we love others. And then the cycle is completed. So when my friend prayed for that girl, he was loving that family. Right? He closed the circuit, so to speak. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to, the Savior of the, to be the Savior of the world. And if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, and God lives in them and they in God. But here's interesting. He just describes, okay, so how is it? God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. That's how we know that God's in us. We know and rely on the love God has for us. Not just mentally, but emotionally. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Wow. There's the thing right there. In this world, we are like Jesus. This is about releasing the healing ministry of Jesus. So if you want to be like Jesus, one thing that you will have is this compassion. And what I'm going to say today is if you have compassion, then you'll also have power. And you will start doing these things, these impossible things, out of love. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love why? Because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this commandment, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. We love why? Because he first loved us. And so that love that we experienced it even extends into doing supernatural things. So we love people because not only do we believe that God still heals, but because we want to see them get well, right? And that motivation is very, very powerful. That also helps us then in so many situations that we find ourselves. You've heard that it was said, Matthew 5:43, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So this is really, really important because part of what God's given us to do in this world is to make the world taste good. In an atmosphere where there are so many people doing so many stupid things, so many false philosophies, so many things that people are doing thinking they're causing good but causing ill and problems, that sometimes your, your compassion and your love begins to evaporate. 
This is called love grow cold. So what's important for us is the stupid decisions other people are making cannot influence our inner person. We've got to be real careful how we judge them. Judge not lest you be judged. But, 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 yes, I know. I think you can look at a situation and say, that was a dumb thing to say. But, but not let it get into that place where your compassion begins to dry up. For the body of Christ, if you ask me what my number one concern for the body of Christ is, not that they have more truth, not that they pray more, not that they stand up stronger. Their number one issue is they don't lose their love. Because when you lose your compassion, you also lose your power. You also lose your accuracy to pray as you should, and you also stop hearing the voice of God. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He's doing. Right? And I'm talking not only about personal things, but I'm talking about great social issues. What do we do? It was out of love that we birthed the school. The school that we have and the school that we continue to grow. We, we're doing it out of love. So funny because uh, we birthed the school earlier. We had had one a few years back and stuff. And that was a great school too. There was lots of love involved with that. But there was other things. This thing that happened this time around, it put us in such a position of difficulty and cost us so much and... Uh, you know, just was so, let's just say, it wasn't very timely, right? Uh, right in the middle of a pandemic, hey, let's start a school, right? Well, from one point of view, it was extremely timely. From another point of view, trying to do construction and all the other stuff that we need to do in a time when everything's frozen and broken and messed up and the rules and all the stuff, you know, it was difficult. But I tell you, this school that we built and that we are building now was built out of love. That's the reason. I felt compassion for our children. I felt compassion for our parents. And uh, I just couldn't get away from it. It was just the right thing to do. Yes, it brought lots of inconvenience. And yes, it's cost a lot of money. Yes, it's this and this. Okay. Yes, you really think it's time that we do this when so much is going on in the world? Well, it's precisely because so much is going on in the world that we need to do that. So the school, school has been born in love. And there's other things that we've been birthing out of compassion and love. And of course, the warehouse has taken whole new dimensions. But it's out of love. If it ever stops being out of love, I don't want to do it. If, if that's not the reason why we're doing it. If we get into this religious place, look at us, we're the city on a hill, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Fine. But if my compassion just keeps drawing me, I can't stay away. I, 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 I want to love these people and touch them. I want to do them well. I, I tell you, that's the thing. And as long as that burns, then we're going to be okay. And God will always bless it too. It's just this religious spirit is the opposite of love. And the religious spirit will just quench love. It looks like God, but it's not. That's where we got to stay away, away from. So that's why we have these kind of things like this. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Whoa. <laughs> I don't have to go much farther than my television set and like watch it for five minutes to get a bunch of enemies in my brain, right? <clears throat> but here it is. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So we must stay in this place. 
for all of our emphasis on truth, if we don't stay in this place, we'll lose our power. God will lift off of us, and we won't have any anointing to do anything. And I believe God wants to release tremendous power on us for our world. Power that raises the dead, casts out demons, heals the sick, but also power that significantly addresses our community in a way that's wise, in a way that people can understand. They will know you're Christians by what? Your love. So that's why it's tricky, because there's this wisdom that we also have, and we have to learn how to handle the wisdom in such a way that we don't slice and dice people. Right? And so we have this wisdom. We know right from wrong, our right hand from our left hand. We understand. So doing that in love is one of our trickiest things, and we have to stand for the truth, but at the same time, we can't lose this compassion for the very people that we're talking about. And sometimes that compassion evaporates so quickly in me, it's shocking, you know. I just want to get and jump in that television set and strangle them, you know. I don't suppose anybody else feels that way, but so I'm just confessing my sins here, but I'm trying to go to a different place, too, and I, for the most part, am succeeding. I, I have my problems and times, right? Especially when something hits me wrong. And then I think there is a righteous indignation that's okay, you know, and it's important. It's just you can't go, you got to be careful, right, where that goes. But there is, because I don't believe God made us spineless. As a matter of fact, I think love will give you the biggest spine of all. It will make you courageous. It will make you do things that you would never do in any other setting, right? Pray for those who persecute you. So that's something. That's a good word, isn't it? That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what, what are you doing more than others? Do you not even tax uh, pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. These are really important verses. I believe, for this hour. Key verses explaining that encounters of supernatural love are available to all who believe in Jesus, this love that comes from God. And um, so I've already read through some of those verses, so I don't think I'll go there, but I'm just going to go on to point B on your outline. There's a love fee, so to speak, with God that starts with acceptance of Jesus' forgiveness of our sins. And I'm talking about us personally. Because as we get healthy with the Lord personally, we begin to be healthy for the community at large and for those around us. Here's the real critical thing. I love these verses so much. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So even when you make mistakes, even when you make horrible mistakes, even when you get uh, overboard in some area, you do something wrong. There's no condemnation. All we do is take it to the Lord and say, you know, I did it, God. I am so sorry. There's no con. That's the end of it. You may have to live some of the consequences of your actions out sometimes, but the way God feels about you is clear. You're even. You're good. I tell you, I... You can just shout this. That's almost no uh, scripture more important than this one. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because we come to the Lord Jesus, then we become more aware of our failures. We become more aware of our weaknesses. And then the enemy is more than happy than to snuff that beautiful light that's come in and saved you by throwing all kinds of condemnation on it. You ever notice how maybe you even had a breakthrough and something great happens and you do a good job, you know, and then all of a sudden you fail miserably? 
And everything you were feeling good about just goes right out the door. No. There is therefore now no condemnation. Sorry about that, God. I don't know what I was thinking. I'm so sorry. Thank you for forgiving me my sins. And in a moment's time, it's white clean. And part of this is so important for us to get the forgiveness. Because without the forgiveness, you can't love other people because you're under this condemnation. And then you have a tendency when you get condemned then to be condemning. Isn't that weird? You would think you would be humbler. But when you get under condemnation, you just get meaner. Sometimes I think legalistic people, that may be their number one problem. They're so sensitized to their failure that they get mean toward everybody else, right? So it's important, right, that we stay in this place. There's this love feast, so to speak, with God. And it progresses as the Spirit takes us straight to the heart of the Father. And I'm going to turn a little bit here because we're talking about releasing the healing ministry of Jesus. When I say healing ministry, I'm not only talking about physical healing, I'm talking about emotional, mentally. I'm talking about the whole thing that we are in the community. For those who are led by the Spirit of God, Romans 8, 14, are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves again, slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's kids, God's children. There's powerful Greek words in here. We receive the adoption of such a... By him, we cry. That word cry is we scream, we yell. That's how it would be translated. It's a, like an animal shriek. We shriek, Abba, Daddy, Abba. The Spirit himself testifies. That's the word for martyr with our spirit that we're God's kid. That strong testimony that you're God's kid. That strong uh, testimony that you're beloved. That... The testimony on the inside of us is what releases the healing anointing for others because when God loves you like that, you begin to look at other people in a whole different way. It's just so when you don't feel so good about yourself, you don't do so good with others. Some of the most legalistic people I've ever met hate themselves. They didn't learn there was no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. These Greek words are powerful, but in experience, they're even more amazing. And when I ran into the vineyard a number of years ago, I'd been part of several movements and done lots of missions and all kinds of things. And in those places were great worship ministries, and uh, and I, I traveled the world. I was speaking in various places all over the earth, really. I mean, I had, because we had a missions agency and organization, and we were trying to get people overseas. And and so I got exposed to all kinds of, 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 of churches and places. But I got to say, when I came to the vineyard, there was something different, and I couldn't put my finger on it. Same worship, but we noticed, uh, for one thing, there wasn't as much, wasn't as much Hebrew hoedown. You know, there was, it was sort of like, it was more, and we never could put our finger on it, but we'd, we'd talk about it after, what is that? What is that thing? In the, what is that thing? That thing was here today. It's compassion. It's mercy. It's, it's a, uh, something that was inexplicable in the worship. You could feel it. You just couldn't put your hand on it. And, and, uh, and so at that point in time, they weren't very interested in missions or in stuff that I was doing. And uh, so I thought maybe I didn't belong, but I was intrigued how people could do what they did, how they would run to the altar uh, uh, when, when John would give an altar call for all right, all you are struggling with homosexuality, they wouldn't delay. They'd come to the front, and all, all you who have been looking at pornography, why don't you come up? And they would come up, hundreds of them, up in the front. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, 
this is either the most honest church I've ever been in or the most sinful. I can't figure out which. <laughs> and so thank God I ran across Eddie Piorek. Um, so many of you heard him speak here, and he was where we ended up in the vineyard. That was our landing place. Because God gave Eddie a unique way to explain what the vineyard even couldn't even explain at its top leadership levels. They didn't even know how to explain it. But Eddie put it, he found these scriptures, and one of these scriptures was here. It was the spirit of adoption. Why we cry, Abba, Father, was running loose in the movement and still is in it today and in our church. This Abba, Daddy experience. I, I talk about it in my life in the spirit class. We had a great time, by the way. We had like 25 people. It was awesome. Come, if you're newer, come. And uh, we talk all about these things in depth. But it took a while. And just as I was about to leave the vineyard, thinking that maybe they weren't me or I wasn't them, sitting at John Wimber's table, eating lunch, there was five of us. And as I'm sitting at the table, I feel this trembling in my body, like something coming into my feet. And my legs began to shake. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I have finally lost it. I'm having a nervous breakdown right here in front of John Wimber. <laughs> That's my first thought. And I, and I, I think, man, I'm I didn't think I was under that much strain. I got a few decisions to make, but man, I must be really been, you know, wow. And so a lot of you know this story, so I won't go belabor it, but I have a point I want to make out of it. So I, so I started trembling and shaking, and it was the Spirit of God, which I, didn't, I never had received that way, so it was horribly embarrassing, frightening even. And I didn't know God could do that, you know, and... Uh, Finally, you know, long story short, as most of you know, I ended up, along with my friend, on the floor, underneath this table, trembling for like an hour. But the thing that was happening was it was like nothing like I'd ever experienced before. I'd experienced power, even power that I had done with other people when I prayed for them, or power from a prophetic word, but I had never experienced love like that. It was this compassion on me. In other words, it seemed like the whole thing was not just that the power came on me and I shook, but that love came in me. And I could feel God's love. I could feel him talking to me. You know? One of the first things I concluded from the little talk that we had under the table, which lasted about an hour, maybe you should stay in the vineyard after all. And thank God that Eddie was there because when Eddie was there, he helped explain what was happening because John Wimber himself didn't even know what was happening. He could never explain. He said, that's the darndest thing that happened to you. you know? He never did fully get it. Eddie understood exactly. So guess whose church I ended up in? Eddie. So he could explain to me why I had become this nervous wreck. And these feelings that I was getting kept coming, you know. It wasn't just under John Wimber's table. It was in other times. And I now, I'm, I, now I'm becoming a big crybaby, and I don't even know why. I'm thinking, well, I'm having a nervous breakdown. No, Eddie, you're not having a nervous breakdown. You're just, you're, you're finally where you need to be. You're walking, this is called the Father's love. I said, well, who talks about that? Me. Well, who else talks about it? Well, not very many people yet, but they will. And they did. A few years later, Toronto came along, and that's all they talked about. It was like the precursor, but the thing is, I'm not trying to like exaggerate our spirituality. I'm just trying to say that in these verses, the spirit of adoption by which we cry, that animal scream, Abba, Father, that's for all of us. There is this experience and these experiences with God. And if we ever needed them, it would be now. 
It is this internal awareness of the love of God. Daddy. Abba. Abba means daddy. Abba. Abba. Daddy. Not just our father, but daddy. That takes us straight to the healing ministry of Jesus. So why do we love? Because he first loved us. So that's why I lay my hands on the sick. That's why I pray for them. That's why I have compassion. That's why we pray for anybody. If we make it a game or who can do the most or who can be the most spiritual or who can get the best words of knowledge, wow, how do we get there? But love will take you a different place. Love has inside of it also this uh, amazing uh, awareness of God's voice. It's this love that motivates us, C1 on your outline, to try to, the impossible, even it makes us feel very vulnerable. Jesus said to his disciples, all these people, hey, you give them something to eat. (laughs) In this place, God will call you to do things you never dreamed you would do. You could lather yourself in some Pentecostal fervor and fire, you know, and go out the door, but it kind of dies out the moment someone says, no, (laughs) who are you people anyway? But this thing we're talking about stays. It's The abiding presence and love of God, it makes you do things out of your comfort zone. It makes you ministry. It makes you pray for people you would never pray for. It makes you do things you would never do. And it's the reason why the warehouse exists, frankly. I never dreamed it would be this place. But if there's anything that's important about it, it's the mercy that we show. That's the only thing. We do a lot of things, a lot of good works, but when the mercy dries up, we're dead. Mercy. That's why it's called the Mercy Warehouse. And that's what motivates us. That's, that's what gets me going. That's what, uh, and so what I'm trying to say is there's this movement. It makes us do the impossible. Here's this crowd, and Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And it wasn't just, you know, could you imagine you're part of these disciples handing all this food out that you know just came from a couple of fish and some loaves of bread, and you're doing this, and I, I, he would be absolutely astounded, but there's another side to it. And that other side to it is the one we have to see. God's miracles are astounding, but the love that God expressed, the compassion that he was evidencing over the people, that's the key thing, right? So now you give them something to eat. Well, it's the warehouse or our next-door neighbor or whatever, but you can't do that with religious fervor only, you'll burn out. But when God's loving you, you have this tendency to love other people. Whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater works than these. I will do whatever you ask in my name, he says in John 14, 12 to 14. Wow. And this love causes you to love your enemies, Matthew 5, 43 to 48, and pray for them. Which brings us back to our enemies. We have some enemies. We have enemies waging war against the church, against God's people, that I don't think we've ever seen before. So I'm not sure what this means. I'm not sure we are on the prophetic timeline. But I've never seen anything like this. But the question is, how is the church going to respond? What are we going to do about it? Right? Well, we have to stand up for the truth. I am sure of that. But one thing that I'm concerned about for all of us is that we don't forget our compassion and arrogance and, and get arrogant. Right? No. 
thing is, I can say that out loud, but to live it on the inside means that I have to feel God's compassion inside of me. Otherwise, I cannot get that balance right. I cannot on the one side stand on the step of truth and on the other side be compassionate. It's a tricky balance, but once the mixture is right on the inside of you, you can do it. It will help you to know the right time and procedure, the right time to stand up, the right time not to, and even when you stand up, the way to stand up. And it may mean at times Jesus cleansing the temple. But I think for the church in this moment, I think one of the biggest things is the world is cringing. The world is so afraid. It is terrified. That's why people are so shocked. Some of your friends and neighbors would be shocked in this time of COVID that you're even here in the building. The people have been shocked, even other churches I know, with us just meeting, right? Gathering together as we have for all these months. I don't want to wear a badge. This thing's too dangerous, too crazy, too weird, you know? I kind of think about it too long ago. Oh, well, God, what am I doing? You know? But love walks to the beat of a different drummer. Love makes you courageous and sensitive at the same time. Love makes you stand up for truth and at the same time gives the world a break. <laughs> because if you see them, you see them, that look in their eyes and in their face. I see it with... Even I can see it behind the mask sometimes at grocery stores and places. It's just the absolute fear if you come too close. And what does that do for you? For me, it stirs up. Oh, I feel, wow, like sheep without a shepherd. How horrible to be facing this, not even knowing whether you're going to live or die, not knowing where your eternity is, and here you are in this place. I think, ah, as the Lord ministers compassion to us, I think we're beautifully set up to be compassionate to other people. And when they're mean and they got these attitudes and stuff, I still think we can be, give the right response. Maybe they need a nice harsh return. I don't know, but to know the right time and procedure, that's what the Bible says, the proper time and procedure is this mixture when the love of God's inside of you, you just know what to say. And I don't always get it right, but boy, I tell you, when I feel God's love, I, I know what to do about situations. It's just that when I'm out and detached from it, I don't know. Built into love is God speaking to you. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He's doing. And so, right now, I believe that uh, we're in a lot of hunger and pain uh, as individuals in the culture, but also in the church and I just think hunger and pain will take you to experiences with God that heal and tenderize your own soul. So in this time, let's use this hunger and pain to t be tender, not hard. And this is the fuel that will take you to the world around you. When I had this experience that happened in uh, John Weber's office and subsequently through the years, it just made me more and more tender. And uh, it just has taken me further and further into the highways and the byways of the world. And when I look at people, I don't look at them as a mark anymore or an ought to. I somehow see differently. Even large populations and places in India, you know. In the world of missions and people that do it, it's a hard job, a long, hard labor and thankfulness in a lot of ways. But I found that a lot of people have a severe religious spirit as they go out into the highways and byways of the world. And they go out there and they burn out. They don't last two seconds out there. 
because they went out there in the zeal, but then they saw the reality of what sin and brokenness really looks like and hatred, where there's no churches, no walls, you know, nothing to protect, no even government, no, not even law law, right? We have very, very disconcerting, so only love will get us to the place where we can give things away. God loves to rewire us, as Roman numeral three on your outline, on the inside so he can use us to heal others. So I'm going to go a little different direction with this story of Zacchaeus. Very interesting story. Everybody hated tax collectors. And I would venture to say in this room, there's some of you who have got on the edge or haven't plunged. I've done it a couple of times where I just absolutely hate this certain person, this public personality, this person who seems to be afflicting and conflicting our world, right? So when I get into that space, I go, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, right? And I think there is a righteousness that's good there. It's just that what we have to manage then is how do we respond to this, right? What is the wisdom? Sometimes I believe it deserves a forceful response. And But the question is for us, we walk in the world, so we all have our individual responses. Most of us are not going to end up in uh, in Congress on the floor there debating, right? So we might be debating our brother-in-law <laughs> or the neighbor across the street is being ridiculous, right? But I'd like to suggest this to you, this story, and it meant a lot to me, and we're going to close on this story. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there was by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, which was meaning he was doubly hated by everybody. And he was wealthy because he stole everybody's money. By the way, if you watched The Chosen, I thought that whole thing with Matthew was pretty amazing. He wanted to see who... How many, I'm just curious. How many have seen the, the Chosen, any part of it? Yeah, so we're all getting a hold of it, aren't we? Waiting for season three, right? He wanted to see who Jesus was. Because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree, fig tree, to see him since Jesus was coming that way. They say, and Janice and I were there, we saw this sycamore fig tree right along the place where Jesus was going. They say that is the one that could because those sycamore fig trees last for hundreds and hundreds of years. So that tree may still be there. I mean, we saw one that looked right along the way. I don't know. Made a great story for the guide. But when Jesus reached the spot, he, took, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Was this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So what happened to Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was rejected and hated by everyone. No one liked him. They wouldn't eat with him. They wouldn't have anything to do with him. His own family wouldn't have anything to do with him. He lived in total isolation in a Jewish community that was actually very, very well connected, right? Full of community. He lived alone. And when Jesus looked at him and received him and said, you know, I'm going to go to your house today, it knocked down every barrier. It caused the healing ministry to go out to his soul. And that man repented on the spot. And Jesus commented, this too is the son of Abraham. He didn't have much to show for it yet, but just watch. And he repented. He 
he turned. It was love that got him. Love and acceptance. It, it got him. It, I'm sure it doesn't work all the way, all the time that way, but it's the right response, right? And Jesus showed this. Our own experience of the Father's love and our weakness and sin teaches how to appropriately heal the world around us. So he, he says, walk him in his love of the Father. Is there a Zacchaeus in your life, your family, your business, a traitor and outcast, someone who's not so lovely right now who might actually be on the other side of the political divide right now? What about them? Wow. What about them? Well, Jesus has this habit which just infuriated, you know, the people around him, these religious people especially, but puzzled his disciples continually because it was clear who were the bad guys and who were the good guys. Romans bad, tax collectors bad, right? But Jesus would turn around and say things like this. When the Son of Man, verse chapter 25, verse 31, Matthew, the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did you, we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these my brothers and sisters, these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. He calls these people his brothers and sisters. Right? And so, in the end, God reduces us to this. It's in Galatians 5, 6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The Spirit has this way when we experience Him. And we experience not just the Spirit and power and revelation, but the Spirit's love, this love we're talking about. He gives us the right balance of truth and mercy. And, and it's wonderful. And that's something that we desperately need in these days, this, this nice balance between truth and mercy. But it's, it's like this special brew. It's like this special uh, formula, smell, like a perfume. It, it's a special aroma. It's a special taste. And it's only uh, received, I believe, through getting this balance right and the Spirit of God on the inside of us helping us, who actually speaks for the truth but also speaks this language of compassion that we see in Jesus that many of his disciples did not understand. It was the compassion that he would point to somebody like that, the places he would go, the things he would say to the religious people on the one side and to the tax collectors on the other side. It was confusing, baffling, until they got their own experience with the Holy Spirit and the love of God in there, then they knew. We love, why? Because he first loved us. Oh, it's so important to have that. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So the title of this is Receiving the Healing Ministry of Jesus. 
So I spent a long time talking about this love, this compassion. But once the compassion comes in, then you are free to release the compassion out. And there's this way that it works where God will just know the right time and procedure. We have a warehouse full of broken people that come in and out, right? But the beauty of the whole thing isn't that we... I mean, it's nice that we've been able to give lots of food away and house a lot of people. That's all okay. But I now know that's only part of the story. They won't get well. Those people in the streets of San Francisco, they won't get well. If you give them the housing and the whole thing, they won't get well without something else. It requires love. Someone with skin on, showing them compassion, someone connecting with them. It's nice to provide for them, but they need this other thing. A mentally ill person, trust me, I know, will not get well without love. It's the only way they recover. It's the only way I've seen to handle anybody that's mentally off. They just need, if you need lots of love, and I need lots of love, they need quadruple, and they can respond to it. Their response is slow, so it's hard. We want to feed them, take care of them, boom, bam, bam, we did our job, good. But one of our biggest things right now with regard to the warehouse is really actually doing our name. It's not only that we give them food, clothing, and stuff, but that we actually become their friend that we have mercy on them. We receive them as an individual, and we love them for who they are. And we do it with our talk. We do it with the way we look at them. We do it with the way we respond to them and the way we sacrifice to them if necessary. Sometimes as an institution, like the Mercy Warehouse, gets a great name in the area and are doing good works and everything. Good job, you guys. But the real job is the life of those people working in that place and the people that we know that are helping people along and giving them kindness and speaking a kind word. And you know, I found out that the kindness words, the love words, the pat on the back words, even maybe even a gift or whatever, these things are powerful. It's the love that actually heals them. So if you've got a mentally ill person or a person on drugs, only love will finally get them through the other side. And it has to be demonstrated in a tangible way. Discipline will work for a while. Obviously, if you stop taking drugs, you might get off, right? But what is it that keeps the person who even gets off drugs going back? It's the hole in their soul. They can't feel love. They don't feel love from anybody, God or anyone. They feel like they're totally alone. For us as a church to deal with this, we too have to feel that love or we can't give anything. We have nothing to give away. There's so much religiosity in the church. There's so much religiosity in the way we act that we become harsh, and it's difficult. So we do everything in these sort of, hopefully, you know, we sort of give this away or that away or do this good service. It's just a start, but it's a lifestyle. It's like compassion will release ministry and concern for a person, prayer for a person that nothing else will do. I know I'm supposed to pray for them. I know I'm supposed to give to you. But when the compassion is operating and I'm feeling God's love and compassion for me, then I can freely give. It's just that when I'm bound and I'm terrified about my own life, I'm afraid. I don't think I'm going to have enough. Then I start to become chintzy and condemning and mean. Ah, That time under the table was the best time I've ever spent under a table. I think it's the only time I've ever been under a table. At least for a religious reason. 
And the reason why I was under there was because of the compassion of God. He was hammering me with compassion. It was my introduction to the world of compassion. And I had been fairly religious up to that point. By the way, I'm a missionary, right? Oh, man, those guys are serious about their stuff, right? So there's this great book, and I'm going to finish with this. It's called The Furious Longing of God. And uh, it's just an awesome book, and it has some of these things that I've been talking about. But there's just this one story that caught me, and maybe it explains to us how we release the ministry of Jesus in real practical ways. Right? So I'm just going to read a few pages, and we'll finish today. Back in the late... 60s, I was teaching at a university in Ohio, and there was a student on campus who, by society's standards, would have been called ugly. He was short, extremely obese, he had a terrible case of acne, a bad lisp, and his hair was growing like Lancelot's horse in four directions at one time. He wore the uniform of the day, a t-shirt that hadn't been washed since the Spanish-American War, (laughs) jeans with a butterfly on the back, and of course, no shoes. All my days, I have never met anyone with such low esteem. He told me that when he looked in the mirror each morning, he spit at it. Of course, no campus girl would date him. No fraternity wanted him as a pledge. He walked into my office one day and said, his lisp evident, Ah, you're a new face on campus. Well, my name is Larry Mullaney, and I'm an ethnostic. You're a what? He replied, he repeated himself, and I said, wow, congratulations. If you ever become an atheist, I'll take you to dinner, and we'll celebrate your conversion. (laughs) This guy, Brendan, man, he's the campus priest. The short story I'm about to tell you is what Larry got for Christmas one year. Christmas came along for Larry Mullaney, and he found himself back with his parents in Providence, Rhode Island. Larry's father is a typical lace curtain Irishman. Now, there are lace curtain Irish and there are shanty Irish. A lace curtain Irishman, even on the hottest day in summer, will not come to the dining room table without wearing a suit, usually a dark pinstripe, starched white shirt, and a tie swollen at the top. He will never allow his sideburns to grow to the top of his ears, and he'll always speak in a low, subdued voice. Well, Larry comes to the dinner table that first night, smelling like a billy goat. He and his father have the... (laughs) the usual number of quarrels and reconciliations, and thus begins a typical vacation in the Mullaney household. Several nights later, Larry tells his father that he's got to go back to school the next day. What time, son? Six o'clock. Well, I'll ride the bus with you, his father said. The next morning, the father and son ride the bus in silence. They get off the bus as Larry has to catch a second one to get to the airport. Directly across the street are six men standing under an awning, all men who work in the same textile factory as Larry's father. They began making loud and degrading remarks like, oink, 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 look at that fat pig. I tell you, if that pig was my kid, I'd hide him in the basement. I'd be so embarrassed. Another said, I wouldn't. If that slob was my kid, he'd be out the door so fast he wouldn't know if he's on foot or on horseback. Hey, pig, give us your best oink. These brutal brutal salvos continued. Larry Mullaney told me in that moment For the first time in his life, his father reached out and embraced him, kissed him on the lips and said, Larry, if your mother and I live to be 200 years old, that wouldn't be long enough to thank God for the gift he gave us in you. I am so proud that you're my son. It would be hard to describe in words the transformation that took place in Larry Mullaney, but I'll try. 
He came back to school and remained a hippie, but he cleaned up the best he could. Miracle of miracles, Larry began dating a girl, and to top it off, he became the president of one of the fraternities. By the way, he was the first student in the history of our university to graduate with a 4.2 grade point average. Larry Mullaney had a brilliant mind. Larry came to my office one day and said, tell me about this man, Jesus. And for the next six weeks, in half-hour increments, I shared with Larry what the Holy Spirit had revealed to me about Jesus. At the end of those six weeks, Larry said, okay. Larry Mullaney was ordained a priest in the diocese afterward. Larry Mullaney was ordained a priest in the Diocese of Providence, Rhode Island. And for the past 20 years, he's been a missionary in South America, a man totally sold out to Jesus Christ. Do you know why? It wasn't because of the six weeks of sitting in Brandon, Brandon Manning's office while I talked about Jesus. No, it was because of a day long ago during a Christmas vacation, standing at a bus stop when his lace curtain Irish father healed him. Yes, his father healed him. His father had, got the, had the guts to get out of the foxhole and choose the high road of blessing in the face of curtain, uh, cursing and taunts. His father looked deeply into his son's eyes, saw the good in Larry Mullaney that Larry couldn't see for himself, affirmed him with a furious love, and changed the whole direction of his son's life. Let's all stand. Releasing the healing ministry of Jesus. So, I'd like the worship band to come if there's any left around here. I don't know about you, but um, you see, the thing is, Scripture says we love. Why? Because He first loved us. So if we're not loving others very well, not loving the world very well, we probably aren't releasing ministry to the world very well. But once love gets in there, it does something to us. We love because He first loved us. We talk different. We see things different. We act different. We act differently to our kids who maybe aren't doing so great. We act differently toward friends, neighbors, obnoxious people, people on the wrong side of the political divide, people that just are very unlovely. And it's amazing to me, I'm finding more and more that all of us are called to this. Maybe you've just been loved into the kingdom. I just encourage you, the best thing you can do for yourself after all the ravages of sin have done for you is go love somebody else with whatever you got. And you don't have to love other people with what you don't got. You just love them with what you do got. And you give it away. And when you give it away, it comes back on you. And you give it away. And such is the healing ministry of Jesus. You don't have to give away in any other way ways that other people do. You might admire this person or think of that person as this great, amazing person or whatever, but sometimes we just get religious when we do that. Just love the way you can with the person in front of you. Whatever you've been given, whether it's just a little bit, where you just know a little bit about God or have a little mercy in you, just give that little part away. Give, and it should be given to you. You'll experience more, far more than you can imagine. These relationships that we're talking about, relationships with the world around us, but relationships with our own family, and maybe where that's where the rubber meets the road, this somehow father, this straight-laced person who was everything opposite of what his son, had every reason in the world not to be proud of him, 
just did like Jesus did with Zacchaeus and made room for him in his life and loved him anyway. Even when he didn't love himself so well. I think that's us. You know what? Here's the thing. We can't do it in our own strength. But we can receive the Spirit. It's one thing we've learned. That's why we're always praying for one another. That's why we worship so long. We know we can't do this alone. We have to have the Spirit. So when we worship, it's the Spirit that comes and lives inside the place, right? Where, where two or three gather in my name. There I am. And it's the Spirit that talks to us and we can minister out of whatever we got. Maybe none of us, maybe we're not feeling too spiritually great, but we know what to do. We just need to have the courage to be nice, kind to other people see them a different way and I tell you if there ever was an hour that we need to do that I would believe it's now how to tell the truth and at the same time speak it in love how to tell the truth and exhibit love how to tell the truth and at the same time be the truth this is where we find ourselves and we can't do it by ourselves. I tell you I cannot I cannot my, my television has barely made it through this season for me throwing my shoes at it I can't do it in my own strength, but I've found a grace from God to help me. He's the Holy Spirit. He's supernatural. He'll cause me to do things and say things to my enemies that I never would in my own strength. He'll cause me to pray for people, give people money, do things for people I never would in my own energy. If I do it in my own energy, I'll peter out. That's why I'm so happy the Mercy Warehouse has lasted as long as it has because we've managed to maintain the inside and the outside. Not perfectly, not well. I mean, we screw up. We, we're just people. But enough of us that to show mercy to a person here and do a person there, we've just enough that the Lord's set foot to keep us going. But it's only the tip because most of you are not going to live there. You're going to live out here where your kids are, where your families are, where your schools are. That's where we got to go. And that's how we heal. I just think that uh, there's some sort of unique impartation the Lord wanted to do this morning. Um, I read this story, and I don't think I stopped crying for a half hour. Because it's so close to who we are, what we should be doing. At the same time, you're loving other people. You're feeding your own soul. So I think there's a lot of that that's necessary. Some of us feel barren, more barren than we have in a long time. I think this is a time they feel full because there's plenty of places to give love away. It's by that giving, you feel it back in you. Some of us just desperately need actually to know how to love another person so we can be loved. We feel barren sometimes and weak and lost and lonely. I believe today there's an opportunity to receive love and to be equipped to give it. If you'd like, you could come to the front or perhaps just pause in your seat for a minute. We'll just sing a couple of songs. Leave whenever you want. If you'd not disturb other people, because I think I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and I think He's going to come for who wants it. If you just pause five minutes, I wouldn't even, you know, don't, you don't have to pause 30 minutes or 45 minutes or, an hour, you know, just, just a minute to get a moment's rest. So you come if you like. Maybe there'll be some people that might want to put a hand on your shoulder and pray for you. But whatever you do in the next few minutes, why don't you just ask the Lord just to rest 
on you. Holy Spirit, as we sing, I pray the lovely love of the Father would rest on us. If you would call our name and talk to us. You tell us who we are. Tell us how wonderful we are. We could feel your love in the worship. We could feel your love as we address you as Father. And I pray this impartation that I'm asking for would stay with us, not just in this service, but way past the time we're here. In Jesus' name. So we're going to worship, and maybe some of you might want to come along and just lay hands, just to put your hand gently on somebody's shoulder and just say, receive the love of God or as you feel led. And uh, we'll be here for a little longer if you need to go. If you could just quietly go out, because I can feel the presence, and I think even from your own seat where you're at, you can feel this impartation releasing. Thank you, Father, for releasing the love of God. I can feel it in the room right now. All of us are in this place. As we worship, as we sing, as we pray, I pray you would just come. Talk to us. Heal us. Sustain us. And follow us out the door. So we open our Bible. And we pray. We hear a worship song. You touch us again with this marvelous love of the Father. Come, Lord today and every day. Amen.